Happy birthday, bud. Thank you. How old are you? 34. 34. Me too. Yeah, until your September, right? Yeah, my days at 34 are numbered. Uh, (laughs) Tammy just had her birthday last week and uh, made her 35, so I'm the young one around here now, you know? Yeah, me too. So I get some... uh, Get to brag about that for a bit and taunts. I don't know what it is with getting older, but it's it's not good. No, no, it's not. I'm Remember not. when it was good? When when's the split off? That's a good question. Because for years, yeah, it's like all older. you want to do is be older, and then it gets to a point where you're like no mas. But when does that happen? I think like twenty four is like a sweet spot. Maybe. I was gonna say twenty five, just because you can pretty much do everything then because you can rent, rent cars. A car. yeah, yeah, like that's okay. the last landmark. So if you could just stay 25 forever. That'd be a good age, yeah. Uh, no big open today. It's Don's birthday, and he's also on vacation. So we don't have a lot of time with him this week because I want him to spend the time with his family, enjoying his birthday, stuff like that. We might have taken off, but we had just taken so much time off, and we did have some nice things scheduled. So Yeah, it's nap time anyway at home. Yeah, it's so. get you in during the naps, Yep. do this real quick. Don's going to do three things with us now. We're going to have Ed Sherman. Uh, from the Chicago Tribune and ShermanReport.com. Good friends of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's going to be on tonight. He was at the United Center last night uh, watching the game. So he'll be with us uh, today to give a firsthand report of what it was like uh, for Blackhawks last night. And he'll talk about some sports media stuff as well. I'll do a book club update. Then we have Mike Johnson from PW Insider, the world of wrestling, lost the Nikon. Uh, for once, maybe not so tragically, he was 70 years, 70 years old in Dusty Rhodes. We'll talk about that and a little bit about Kevin Owens and John Cena, the greatest wrestling feud in, I don't know, a while anyway. See what he thinks about that. And then we will end with one last thing, just me today, though. So it's Season 5, Episode 18th. It's June 17th. 16th. 16th, 17th, maybe by the time you Yeah, when you're listening, right. 2015, Ed Sherman, Mike Johnson. Let's do this. Three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. So the Chicago Blackhawks won their third Stanley Cup in the last, what is it, six Six years? And a couple questions about it. Well, let's start with this. When we left last week, we were kind of looking at Steven Stamkos and Corey Crawford, Mm -hmm. sort of as the guys for their teams that needed to play better. Right. So I think when we last left, we were right at about two to two or so, maybe even two to one, something like that. And it was like, In where favorite. is the series yeah. going to go from here? And what happened was Corey Crawford finished the series by letting in maybe one or two more goals from that point on. The rest of the way stopped Steven Stamkos on a breakaway and even a rebound on that breakaway. And then uh, Stamkos had no goal. So it's kind of where we left it was which one of these guys is going to step up. And uh, it was Crawford who, wow, as bad as he was in the beginning, he was that that good. I mean, if you think about where this playoff started with him, in round one, he was getting taken out for Scott Darling, a ECHL goalie. Yeah. yeah. You know, and he finished uh, Yeah, he strong. got the benefit of a few posts, maybe. Yep. Stamp, Stamp Coast yep. hit 
early two last or night. three on his yeah. own. So, uh, but I mean, he just went cold. Yeah, you know, I don't think he he wasn't a dog. I didn't think this, despite as great as he is, and to to leave with no goals, it didn't. He didn't look at. I didn't look at him like a guy. Like, come on, you're not going. I thought he was going. Right. I just didn't think he. He just couldn't get that one. He always felt like if he got one, he'd break out. And he just yeah, the in. weirdest thing to me about that series, and we talked about that going into it, was that, or we talked about that three games into it or whatever it was last week, that it was so low scoring. Like, neither goalie was exactly a world beater. Ben Bishop, you find out now, had a torn groin or right. something that he played through. We and, knew he was battling. Right. And he missed a game. And every game, I believe every game was a one-goal game. And every The game first was... two-goal lead of the series was when Patrick Kane scored to make it 2-0. Oh, right. That was the one yeah, two-goal game. Yeah, the first two-goal right. lead of the whole series. So, are the Blackhawks a dynasty? Yeah. I mean, I think you redefine dynasty. Uh, salary cap and free agency right. the way it's not it is what it was now. In the 70s. You're not going to win four in a row. There's a lot of luck in hockey now, too. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, four dynasties and... Or three, uh, three cups in six years is as close as you're probably going to get to four in a row, like the Islanders and Oilers had. So, uh, yeah, I think so. We both have a team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, admittedly, not a team ready to compete yet. Right. But for other Eastern Conference teams, do you look at Tampa Bay and say, "Uh oh, they're going to be a beast in this league for yeah. years to come"? Yeah, now. I think yeah. for sure. I think I heard after that game yesterday they had. One unrestricted free agent on the team, and Stamkos is young. Uh, Druen wasn't even much. Wasn't he, ready yet. Right. He's not yeah. a big part of that team yet, and he will be good. So, yeah, I think I think they'll, they'll be an excellent team for a while. If there was a redraft for the whole league, um, would Hedman be the number one pick of all the players in the finals? Or would it still be Kane? How old is Duncan Keith? Or Keith. I mean, Duncan Keith might be the best defenseman in the league right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably... Keith, okay. uh, Taves and Kane are only 26 and 27 years right. old. Chicago can win two or three more of these. Let's say you have Kane, Taves, Keith, Stamkos, and Hedman. Those five guys. How many picks into an NHL redraft before they're all off the board? 20? 15. Yeah, that's probably about right. I mean, guys that know more than me would have to be picking guys that like Jonathan Drouin that haven't proved it yet, right. over guys like Taves and Kane. And Taves might be arguably the best player in the league overall. So I mean, a lot of talent, and it was a good yeah. cup for low-scoring games. They weren't boring. It wasn't like a two-to-one right. Rangers-Capitals game no, from absolutely. back in the playoffs where it seemed like nothing happened. Uh, they were really well-played games. Okay, Keith is 31, so he'd probably be well out of the top 20 in that redraft. But because yeah, super, of his age. Because right. of his age only. Right. Talent, for in a one-year redraft, he's really high on that list. Right. So. Um, the ratings, amazing in Chicago last night. They did a 40 rating. Wow. Um, Buffalo did a 10 rating as third overall, and I think uh, That's Tampa was around a 20. That's good um, for Tampa, yeah. So... The only game six this didn't match was Boston and Chicago from a few years ago. Okay. And that's probably because Boston was close to 42. Right, I right. mean, Bigger Tampa had Tampa. a great year, but they can't be Boston no. yet in hockey. That's an original six team, obviously. So a good year for the NHL. Good finish. 
Yeah, and it's, like you said, young talent. So, I mean, if there's any interest there, I mean, it's great to have a good team in a non-hockey market. I know sometimes hockey snobs are like, they don't deserve it, you know, but like Tampa has a good young team. You know, I was actually listening to Bennington. Okay. And uh, before they came to New York, you know, he's a Tampa guy. Oh, okay. He got his start in radio and actually strip clubs, I think, or comedy clubs, something like that. Something, yeah. uh, In Tampa. And he was talking about how, and his daughter who works with him now, talking about how this is the first time the whole city uh, really got behind and into a sports team like this. That even when they won it last time, hockey was too new. That when the Bucks made the Super Bowl, still didn't quite get this. Just because it's a weird market with the snowbirds and things sure, like that. Right. But now the city is kind of growing from that. The people that are there have been established there for sort of years now. Um, even compared to 2003 or whatever it was when the Tampa won the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, and like, like you said, the... The guys that are now buying tickets kind of grew up with the Lightning. When, when did they get there? 94, 95, yeah, something like that? Yeah. So, I mean, those guys are now 20 years older that watched them as a kid. So, yeah, so, good, good. And they had, I think, twenty, almost 20, 19,000 in the building last night watching the game. It Really? Yeah. Yeah, great. So they filled the building pretty much. I, I love when... I love when teams do that kind of organically. I I'm a snob about it when they try to force a team like Atlanta on the league, and that just it never works. Or even a team like maybe it's sour grapes for me, but a team like Carolina that just doesn't seem to draw, even when they're really good. Uh, but the Southern teams that are maybe not your typical hockey markets, or the California teams that aren't your typical hockey markets, if they can draw, good. Yeah, Dallas has worked. Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, We've seen great progress in L.A. with Anaheim and the Kings. Right. Uh, and Tampa is showing progress as well. So, yeah, great, good year for the NHL. One last thing. Where does Pat Kane stand on the greatest American hockey player of all time race after his third cup? Uh, probably his best regular season, even despite the fact it was cut short. He would have won uh, the Art Ross if he probably would have won it if he didn't break his collarbone. So where does he stand? I think we've said this before, but I think he retires as the greatest American-born player. I mean, who who was he competing with? Uh, Mike Madano, maybe. I mean, his uh, numbers will probably be better than Madano's in an era that is harder to score than Madano's. I would I would think. So, I think if for some reason he said, "Look, at I have three cups. I'm happy. I'm sailing into the sunset, and never played again." He's probably the greatest player. Unfortunately, yeah, we'd always right say, now. oh, well, he should have had another Olympics in him or there'll be some what ifs, but I think he's there. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, hard to argue against him. Sure. Three cups, a con Smythe, you know, consistently, you know, he, him and Taves rejuvenated a original six franchise. Absolutely. So. I, people go back and point out that uh, before they got there. Their players were giving away tickets to the game. Someone was arguing with me on Twitter last night that they don't think it's big for Buffalo that Patrick Kane is having the success he has. I just totally disagree. I just think that 
the idea of having the greatest American hockey player Come from be Buffalo. from Buffalo is huge for the city of Buffalo, a city that's trying to establish itself as the number one hockey city in the United States of America. Yeah, and that's not even a stretch. Like he's from South Buffalo. It's not like we're claiming like a Rochester kid or something like that. Like he's from the heart of the city. Right. I mean, not even from the suburbs. They have roots here. You go into any They live right on the same house on McKinley. Right. You go into bars here, there's always cane jerseys hanging. The people here appreciate it, uh, and it works. I was talking to the wife the other day about, like, how come the Bills can't get, like, a good Buffalo quarterback? And I just said it's just not it's not a football town. But you can get homegrown hockey talent to stick around. I mean, he's not here in Buffalo. But... No fault of his own. No, right. Why would We why didn't would have he... the first pick that year. Sure. Right. Right. It's just the way that works. But, I mean, it. He hasn't come up on free agent and stiffed us or anything. Right. Yeah. I I don't know how it isn't a good thing for Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, if he came out of Ontario, like Toronto, Ontario, people would be saying, look Complete at another good yeah. Toronto, Ontario. Kid. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon, hockey. Uh, draft 26th, is right? the 26th, right? Yeah. Like so we'll be on that for sure. Oh, yeah. Welcoming Michael. There'll be parties here. I mean, you yeah. want to see a city ready for hockey. Watch a draft which nobody cares about. Uh, there'll be hockey parties for that everywhere here. There'll be draft parties everywhere. Uh, second thing today, the NBA Finals are just about done. I mean, one way or another, they're going to be done next time we're on the air. Whether it's right. uh, the Warriors close them out Tuesday as we talk in six, or LeBron gets another game and the Warriors beat them in seven, or LeBron finds a way to get two games and we're talking about a miracle in one of the... Uh, all-time performances. Have you you were watching as of last week? Have you stuck with it? Yes. Uh, I mean, Game Five was the worst game of the series. What was it? What was, it was never close. No. Uh, Cleveland cut it a bit in the fourth, and uh, as soon as they cut it, the Warriors kind of pulled away again. But at night in my house, I mean, this is the most basketball I've ever watched for sure. Uh, when the game is on, I have the TV on. Uh, who is it? Kimmel or? Yeah, Kimmel's Jimmy Kimmel. ABC, yep. He does like a lead into the show. I'm watching that, in, or to the basketball. I watched that with Adam Sandler was on the other day, uh, and then I watched the basketball game. I might not be glued to it, but it stays on in the background the whole time. And uh, this series to me feels a lot like the Chicago Tampa series. I was kind of pulling for Tampa just because it was my pick early in, in the playoffs, but uh, Chicago always kind of felt like the better team, even when they were losing. And that's kind of how this series feels, too. Like, even the games that Cleveland has pulled out, it kind of felt like just uh, Golden State wasn't hitting their shots. Not that Cleveland was necessarily beating them. You just wonder what this series would be like if Cleveland didn't lose the two stars I over know, the course right? of the playoffs, yeah. you know? Um, and it's so Cleveland. It's It happened to us. Yep. Right? Um, but around earlier in 2006. Yep. You know, losing all the defensemen. I think if anything, and I'm sure you're going to hear it, LeBron's going to get blasted for not being able to get it done again. No, he shouldn't. And he shouldn't. No, that's insane. This, if anything, should show how good he is. He's had a triple-double almost every game. Right, without, I don't like know what said, he could have done. the best two supporting players on his team. There's nothing he, he has done that, or hasn't done that he could have. Right. The only thing he could maybe do that he, maybe skip that he does routinely is talk about how great he is. <laughs> he is a showman for sure. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Speaking he, of showman, did you see his penis? I, I, <laughs> Deadspin is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I did see the Deadspin article on it. Yeah. Uh, boy, those guys. Are I didn't there catch are, that are in great. real time. No, I didn't either. They did somehow. But man, basketball gets cameras all over guys. When he hit the cameraman. Yeah. Oh, just, rough night for him. That was the night where he exposed his penis, hit his head on the camera, and then they lost the most lopsided, I think, game of the. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still pulling for them. I think it's like the small, the little guy type thing. My, my small town pulling for their small town, but uh, I I don't feel good about it. Curry and the Warriors could cap off a great year for San Fran, who, or the Bay Area, okay. excuse me, since they're technically in Oakland. Okay. Uh, the Bay Area with a uh, World Series just in October, the Giants, reigning World Series champions. The Warriors looking to get an NBA title. And uh, they're a fun team. They're cool to watch. Uh, I think almost everyone outside of those who are rooting for Cleveland are really rooting for them and rooting for Curry. And uh, he's very likable, and he plays really cool. Yeah. There's not a lot of dunking in his game. No. He's awesome, long, three-point bombs. From anywhere. Anyway, it doesn't matter where. Now, I don't know NBA stats or, like, much less advanced stats or anything. They shoot a ton of threes, Golden State. Though. Yeah, threes are worth more than two, I think, is what the advanced stats yeah. are in the NBA. <laughs> and if you can shoot good in, from three, you're going to have a better chance to win. And that's kind of, I heard an interview with Christian Leitner kind of saying, like, the first couple games when they weren't hitting those shots, uh, people were kind of just putting down Golden State more than they were crediting Cleveland with making them miss. But now it just seems like those shots that they weren't hitting are going in and uh, – the games haven't haven't been all that close. Hopefully, hopefully Cleveland's got a little bit in them. We'll talk more game. about legacies and things like that next week when we actually know who won this thing. Sounds good. All right, last thing for today. So the reality is sinking in, right? The two months of playoffs are ending. Yeah, we're getting to a point where it's baseball. Yeah. So I have oh, a game no. <laughs> oh, no. called "Who's in First? Okay. I will give you the division. Okay. I will even give you the teams in the division. That's good. And then I will ask you who is in first place in said division. There are six of them. I'm going to say you get two of them. How many do you think? That sounds about right. I'll say three. All right. The AL East, the big market behemoth of Boston, Toronto, Tampa, New York, and Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm going to say the Yankees are in first in that. I know they had like a seven or eight game win streak at one point. The Yankees are 34 and 29, one game behind first place Tampa Ugh. at 36 and 29. All right, at that maybe maybe two is a better guess here. <laughs> the AL Central, uh, featuring the Chicago White Sox, the Cleveland Indians, Detroit Tigers. Minnesota Twins and Kansas City Royals. Wow. I have no idea. Uh, in my head, I'm guessing between Detroit and Kansas City. I'll just say Detroit. The Kansas City Royals are surprising 35 and 25 and have been in control of the division almost since opening day. Darn it. Is Detroit, Detroit in second? Detroit is in third place, Ugh. three games back at 34 and 30. The surprising Twins are in between them. Oh, wow. The AL West. Uh, often won by teams like the Angels, Mariners, Athletics, Rangers, or, well, never the Astros. I think they're new to it. So one of those five teams is in first place in the vaunted AL West. 
The Rangers, if you remember, were two times in, I think, 2011, down to the last strike of the World Series. They didn't win. Right. Um, boy, this one's a... Oh, I'll say the Angels. Oh, Don, if you've been paying attention at all, you'd know that the story of baseball is the surprising Houston Astros. Really? 37-28, and 22-14 at home, a plus-30 run differential. First place in the American League West. Uh, the Angels are in third place at a disappointing 32-32, and 32, four and a half games back. I don't know why, but I used to always play as Houston, like on triple play baseball. Yeah. Like Craig Biggio and those guys. They were a good hitting team. We are moving on to the National League. Yeah, I didn't do well in the AL. You got none. Got none. The National League East was won last year by the Washington Nationals after the Atlanta Braves struggled in August and September. The Miami Marlins were the World Series champions in 2003. The Philadelphia Phillies. Always in 2008, good, yeah. and the New York Mets, the Nye Mets, uh, always the frustration. I know. I, I know the Mets had a really good start. I know they have a really good pitcher. Yep, Harvey. Harvey, yeah. yeah. The Dark uh, Knight is his nickname. They lost their best player, though, didn't they, early in the season to injury? So I'm going to say they, they are not doing well. Um Give me the Phillies, I guess. The Phillies dead last at 22-43. and 43. <laughs> <laughs> The NL East eater is oh, the I was New York say Mets. It is the Mets. At 35-30, and 30, hanging on to a one-and-a-half game lead over the Nationals. Yeah, that's why I should have said Washington. But... The Central, a competitive di- division recently with the surge of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Of course, you have the perennial champion Cardinals, the Chicago Cubs. 2015 predicted to be their year by Back to the Future. The Cincinnati Reds, <laughs> and of course the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh God! Uh, I want to say I've heard a lot about the Reds in sports, either for good things or bad things. So I'm going to hope it was good things. I'll say the Reds are in first. It must have been bad because the Reds <laughs> sit just out of last in uh. one, two, three, four, fifth at thirty, twenty-eight, and thirty-five. Fourteen games. Behind the team, you absolutely should have picked the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 42-21. and 21. You can never go wrong with the Cardinals, who are an amazing 25-7 and seven at home so far wow. this year. Wow. The West, your last chance to get one, to bud. Get uh, features the defending World Series champion, the San Francisco Giants, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Arizona Diamondbacks, San Diego Padres, and Colorado Rockies. Don't say them. No, I won't say them. I'm just going to say the San Francisco Giants. Unfortunately, the Giants are three and a half <laughs> games out of first place. This went really well. They trail the Dodgers. Again, the team you should have said. Yep. 37 and 27, 25 and 10 at home. No chance we play that many games in between the recording and airing this podcast, right? Hopefully all these will be right by next week or by the time everyone heard them. At Don Lake Sports, everyone. <laughs> Happy birthday, bud. We're going to take a break and come back with Ed Sherman. Our next guest is from Chicago, Illinois. He's a graduate of the University of Illinois. He spent 27 years at the Chicago Tribune. He covered the Bears of 85. He's covered the White Sox. He's covered it all. Uh, he created the ShermanReport.com. He wrote a great book about Babe Ruth, even a few other books. He's making a sixth appearance on the podcast today. 
a warm welcome to our friend Ed Sherman. How's it going, Ed? Really good, Steve. Hope all's well with you. You know, that's it. I don't care about the extensions or anything like that. Three cups is enough. You guys got to return Kane now. <laughs> I don't think he's coming back anytime <laughs> soon. I mean, it's uh, it was pretty amazing. I was there last night, and, and I've and uh, I had a chance to do uh, experience a lot of great things covering sports for as long as I have. But I had a first last night being able to be on the ice uh, during the celebration um, after the game when the family and the players were out there for a remarkable long period. I mean, I probably, I think I left even before there were still, still players out there, but a long after an hour, in excess of an hour after the game, and they're still in uniform, and they're still either with their families or doing interviews. It was, uh, I can't really think of another sport where that would have happened that way. Um, and it speaks to kind of the nature of hockey and, uh, you know, and, just, and, how, and the kind of guys these guys, you know, they are compared to other sports. Uh, it was really, it was a lot of fun, and um, obviously for Chicago, that was the first time we've, Chicago celebrated a home cup in since 1938. Right. And just to put that in perspective, at that time the Cubs were only 20 years removed from their last World Series title. Oh. So, now so it's pretty cool. Obviously, the Bears won in New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. I can think of a lot of geez, a lot of games. Six Bulls ones. How many did the Bulls of the six? The Bulls. I think home? the Bulls only won two in Chicago. Two I, of the six. And, and I was only at one of them. The other one, I was um, actually at the U.S. Open, so I wasn't even at the other one. Um, did the White Sox I think clinch? The, the White Sox won in Houston. In Houston. So, That's what um, I thought. No, this doesn't happen very often here. You know, where you get a home uh, a clincher. So it was it was very exciting and. You know the ratings were just huge. unbelievable. Yeah. They did. A, I just posted a story on the Tribune's website. They did a 41 rating here in Chicago, and you know, I just put that in perspective. When you know, when the, when Rocky Wirtz and John McNutter, the team president, they took over in like 2007, 2008. The games there was they, they had ratings where they did not even do a rating. You know, they did 0.1. Right. You know, 0.2. They did a 41 rating. That's what they do for a Super Bowl here. You know, and it's just for hockey. It's just incredible the way they kind of wrapped up the entire city. My mother, my 77 year old mother, watched the game last night. I guarantee you, she is not a hockey fan. Huh? Yeah, that's about what we would do here. I mean, that you know. It, yeah. Well, Buffalo would be. You know, that would be that, through I the bet. roof. Yeah, you know, it'd be through the roof, but you know, but but Buffalo has a, you know, you have to understand that the Hawks were so bad for a period of about ten to, you know, ten to fifteen years that they basically fell completely off the radar here, and now they're, you know, now it's the hottest ticket in town, and the ratings are higher than what the Cubs and and the Sox and the Bulls were doing. It's only second, you know, the Bears are obviously in another stratosphere, right? Yeah, but even a forty-one. You know the Bears for a regular season game aren't doing really higher than between twenty eight and thirty. So, you know, you know that was you know a forty one. That might be the highest rated uh, telecast of you know of anything in Chicago all year. That's cr- yeah, that is amazing. It's um, amazing. Yeah, it, absolutely amazing. It's great for hockey. Obviously, the cup, uh, the the Hawks have done more than any team in the last. I don't know, maybe even ever uh, for the game. Certainly in this. You know, yeah, certainly in this market. You know, I mean, when, they, when they're counting I, in my NBA, in my story, they count. I, I was asking Mark Lazarus, the president of head of the chairman of NBC Sports, uh, if he can think of another city and market that accounts for a larger percentage of the national rating 
than the Blackhawks and Chicago. The, the, the Blackhawks, again, accounted for something almost like 25% of the national rating for last night, the Chicago rating did. And there's no, you know, nothing even comes close because you have the, because of the size of the Chicago market. I mean, you have other towns like right. Boston and Pittsburgh that actually do a larger rating in terms of the rating points. But those towns aren't as big as Chicago, and the Chicago market being the number three market in, in the country. And so when you do a 41 rating in Chicago, I mean, it, it, it's 25% of the national rating. So that easily explains why, you know, I think NBC would love to lobby Gary Bettman and have a rule that the Hawks get an automatic exemption into the Stanley Cup final every right. year. Because I wonder what else. One of these, yeah, one of these years they're going to get, uh, you know, they could have got Anaheim Tampa this, this year. So and, close, yeah. You know, and that would have been. Death. Not, it would not have been, he wouldn't have been talking about rating records with that one. I wonder what Buffalo, Chicago would do in a cup. Well, I mean, yeah, I know we're, Chicago. we're I mean, sort we of Tampa small. Bay, you know, yeah. Tampa Bay did a strong number. You know, like the, the dream one, I think, was uh, Chicago and Boston. Oh, Boston. Yeah. Uh, because, um, you know, you need that combination. I don't know where Buffalo ranks as far as market size, but yeah, the, the market 30s, size is part of it, too. Right. It's not just, uh, and I know Boston is a top 10 market, and, uh, and Chicago is number three, and that's where, you know, I think, you know, obviously, you know, Chicago Rangers would have been huge, um, although you know, New York does not watch with the same passion that a, um, that a Boston or Chicago does, but you know, there's so many people there that you're going to get those ratings. So Yeah, we're 51. I think NBC is very happy as long as the Blackhawks are in there. Yeah, Buffalo is 51. So yeah, so yeah, I mean the ratings would be through the roof in Buffalo, but that right. would not help the national, national number as much yeah. as as uh, you know some of these other towns. But yeah. it would be great to see. We'd be, be uh, you'd be very excited. You guys deserve it. You guys are a great hockey market. All right. Well, uh, Jack Eichel, the uh, the next great American uh, hockey star, is hey, well, is weeks, a good chance. Is weeks away from uh, being here and hopefully uh, resurrecting yeah. things. It'll be I, exciting. I know they have an owner who maybe could be one of the gutsy ones to throw an offer sheet at a. Uh, Brandon Saad uh, in the next one. He's weeks. not going anywhere, so don't don't worry about that. He's yeah, but it'd be there. nice to force the Black. You guys could have Patrick Sharp. I think he'll be available. Oh my God, I was excited about the prospect of that a couple months ago, but I'll pass now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit more about because we've kind of drifted into ratings, which is fun. But tell me a little bit more about being in there. What was the bottom dollar price to get in yesterday? What could you get a ticket for? Oh, I think it was. You know, I mean, obviously. I you weren't shopping pass, for Although one, right? I have to say that I did, I was able to had an opportunity to buy tickets for my family for Game Four, and in the upper three hundred level seats, the ticket we, I mean, the tickets were almost three hundred dollars a piece face value. Wow! I mean, that was face value. Right. And so we decided, okay, we decided that the kids can forego going to college to go to a Stanley <laughs> Cup playoff game. But you know, again, you do this because. You know, I mean, it's a once in a, you know, well, it's not even now, it's a three times in a lifetime experience. But again, you, you know, you just never know. I told them, I said, you know, you guys are, you guys are spoiled. They're 19 and 17. So they've seen three cups now in six years and been to three, they've been to three final games. They went to a final game each year. But the reality is, or the reality of sport is, they might go another 40, Chicago could go another 40 years from today. From seeing another Stanley Cup final, I mean, you just don't know, and it's not wouldn't be unprecedented. You know, look what's, you know, look what's happened in Toronto, which was a perennial right. powerhouse. Zero cups. What, their last expansion. Their last final was like 1967 or 66 yeah. or something. They like haven't that. won any since expansion. Zero. Right. Yeah. So. 
which is great for me. Um, I remind them often. <laughs> uh, you know, the the amazing thing about this team is, and I, this is the hardest trophy to win. I, I'll say it all the time. And I know there's other really hard ones that could make a case. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NCAA tournament comes to mind, really hard to win too. Um, but they are just such a tough out. I, whether it was Detroit a few years ago, had them three to one, couldn't finish it off. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, Anaheim this year had them three two. That was the first time they lost a game five in a two to two series in right. seven tries. So I right. think going into that, I think they're a fourteen and zero in game five and six after a two to two series. So that means now they're what uh, one loss and three more wins to that. So that's seventeen and one in those games. And it's got to speak to how great of he gets teased the captain serious thing and but between him and Quenville who's obviously going to the Hall of Fame now I mean mm-hmm. it's got to start there with the way you just can't put them out even in yeah. even in single games you have them down right. by two goals with a minute left and right. Tave scores two we saw it here in Buffalo firsthand uh, when we're trying to lose all the games at the end we're about to win one that we can't win. And Jonathan Tate scores two goals in 20 seconds or something, and they win. I mean, it's right. it's unbelievable. Yeah, you know, and the thing that's amazing about it is, um, you know, again, they were down 2-1 here in the in this series, the Tampa Bay, and, you know, and as I think they were down 2-1 against Boston, too, and then they come back and win the last three games of the series and, um, and really grind it out. You know, the other thing that's amazing about it is that this is not a team that really dominates during the regular season. I mean, I think... I don't even know if they've had maybe one of the years they had. Uh, I know they, you know, that they they had um, uh, the best record in hockey, but I'm not even sure. I think this year they had the third best record in the in the West. I mean, uh, I think Kane as late as hurt. April. Mm-hmm. I think as late as April, you know, everyone was kind of well. This isn't going to be their year. They weren't playing very well, and yet that switch comes on during the playoffs, and um, and they get through it. I mean, they, you know, this is a team that they pulled their goaltender. <laughs> For you know, in the first in game one of the first series, and then he didn't start for the next two or three games, and he still came back and won the Stanley Cup. I mean, they're just so resilient. They're you know, they, I mean, I think they really, um, they really uh, gear up for you know this series, you know, for this run. And I think the other, you know, you mentioned Jonathan Taze, but I think this this playoffs really uh, showed Keith, the yeah. extraordinary talents of Duncan Keith. Mm-hmm. And just you know, in a series, you know, where they were just down to basically four defensemen, and this guy's playing with thirty minutes a game, and playing at a high level for thirty minutes of a game. I mean, he really, you know, I mean, you talk about a guy cementing his Hall of Fame status. That that pretty much did it for Duncan Keith. And uh, you know, I think you know, it just without that kind of a player, they're obviously not you know hoisting another cup. So it was really a, an extraordinary. Um, an extraordinary run for him and and for this team that just kind of seems to find another gear during the postseason. They figured it out. Yeah, he made a play, and I think it was the Nashville series. It was one of their overtime games and a longer one. It could have even been one of the um, uh, one of the Ducks overtime games, but whatever one it was, um, someone made a. It was about to be literally a backdoor, just slap in. Game over goal and his stick. He got a stick on this puck and knocked it away. It's maybe the best play I've seen all playoffs. I wish I could remember more about it, but yeah. I just remember thinking like, "Wow, no one else gets their stick in there." Maybe Dowdy and Dowdy was the big star of the playoffs last year. I thought 
um, yeah. for the Kings. Uh, but yeah, I mean the way and to think that's why no one could beat Canada in, a, in Olympics, right? Because I mean they have both of those guys on the ice. Yeah, and you need that back line yeah. defense. I mean they do have those. You know, Jarmelson's a great player, and uh, Seabrook. I mean you can kind of see. You know that the backline defense really is. It's kind of like pitching in you know baseball. You know you get a lot of teams that like you know uh, that are great offensive teams in hockey, like you know with Ovechkin and Washington, and even Pittsburgh. You know with Crosby, but you know defense wins these games in the in the Stanley Cup, and you need that. You know, like the Giants winning, you know, because they had Madison Bumgarner. And I think the Hawks won because they had Duncan Keith. And it's almost like they won it with three pitchers too. You know, but yeah, only playing four definitely. guys. Yeah, right. And, and maybe even two pitchers. You maybe, know, because yeah. when you think that they were barely playing for, uh, you know, Adulia was, you know, the fourth hurt defenseman. The last and he few, was, yeah. and he was hurt during this series. So, um, you know, I mean, to have that guy who's capable of playing those kind of minutes is just, just kind of unheard of, and it really just looking like he's, you know, just getting started was that was a, a remarkable thing for you know to see. And just to uh, clarify, they were second in the West, the first cup. And the big year was 2012-13. They won the President's Trophy, the Stanley right. Cup Trophy, the Western Conference, and the Central Division. So they right. were um, – that was a shortened season, though, but they were 36-7-5. and What did they go, like 22-0 and to start it or whatever? Right, something like that. Something yeah. crazy like that. So, yeah, yeah pretty incredible team. Uh, it's so amazing for Chicago. I mean, to think if you were born just even when I was in 1980 there – your, maybe your first sports memory is one of the greatest basketball, football teams of all time in 85 Bears. I know that's the first Super Bowl I remember watching was the, uh-huh. was the Bears and Patriots in 85. Then you have the Bulls dynasty, six years, and now you have a hockey dynasty. You even have a White Sox World Series mixed in there. Yeah. And uh, what about the Cubs, though? we got to get something out of the Cubs, right? Uh, well, I'm a Sox fan, so, you so know, I screw the wait. Cubs, yeah. <laughs> I could wait for another 100 years, but I don't think – but actually, you know, the Cubs are kind of they're 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 making a lot of noise, and right. uh, these young players are pretty special that they have. I think they still need to figure it out and get the right parts. But you know, Bryant's going to be a very special player, and um, and Rizzo's. You know, it, it's been it's pretty exciting here right now. Except for my my poor White Sox are just they're probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, disappointment in baseball. But you know, yeah, that's the way it goes. You know, I I wonder if that if I would pick Boston or Chicago to be born. In a city, like just for a strictly sports, um, you know, if just using 1980, um, just because that's when I was born. It's my show. Um, I wonder if I would pick which one I would pick. It'd probably be down to those two, though. I yeah, no, it's pretty one. interesting. You know, I, I mean, the, another one. They won ten championships in the last. You know, Chicago's won ten championships in the last twenty-three years, dating back to ninety-one with the Bulls. Um, I'm not even throwing in the Bears title, so that's pretty strong. With yeah. Six, Six Bears, uh, three Blackhawks, and a White Sox. Uh, although you know that that Boston's pretty strong too, with the Patriots and the Red Sox and the Celtics and even the Bruins. That you know, it's pretty. Some of that Boston stuff was pretty cool. So uh, that would be. I think Boston would make a pretty good case for being uh, the dominant team here for a dominant city here for a while. And interestingly, you could maybe make a case that Buffalo will be very low on the list of uh, places <laughs> to pick. You um, got Rex Ryan. It's all going to be good. Well, I was going to say the good thing for me is I was never a Bills fan, so it, it hasn't hurt quite as much. Although I do – it's harder and harder every year because, you know, so many people around me, the people I love the most, they love this poor Bills team so much, and I, I just feel worse and worse for them. It was one yeah. thing when my team, you know, being a huge Saints fan was – 
was so bad. But when Breeze came and we got a Super Bowl ever since then, I just feel bad for my friends and family that <laughs> suffer with this team. You know what I mean? But not really. Right. Uh, right. The sports guests are here with Ed Sherman. He's at Sherman uh, underscore report on Twitter, ShermanReport.com. He's writing for the Ch- Chicago Tribune again. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of through the cycle of the Babe Ruth book, how did you feel it went? Were you were you happy with it? And um, yeah, well, you know, they did the book in the club shot. I believe it's coming out in paperback in September. I so did that see that. That'll be very exciting. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward. I have a special uh, day coming up in August, the Hall of Fame. Apparently, they bring in authors to do, like, presentations. So I got invited to do that. Actually, I was invited last year, but I couldn't do it. And they invited me. They're kind enough to invite me again this year, give me a rain check. And uh, so I'm really, you know, it's looking forward to kind of to go into Cooperstown and, uh doing a presentation for my book. It'll be, I think, August 6th or 5th or 6th. I can't remember the date. Um, so if you're in the neighborhood, stop on by. But uh, uh, but that'll be cool. I mean, I think just to say that I had a chance to do anything in Cooperstown yeah, is another is one of those cool. moments that kind of you never really thought would be possible um, when uh, you were a kid growing up that, that Cooperstown would invite you to do, you know, the Hall of Fame would invite you to do something. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. And the book went, you know, I hope it went well. I hope people enjoyed it. I uh, loved it, yeah. We, we enjoyed and, featuring uh, it. And it was fun to do, and uh, it's fun to see how people, you know, react to it and whether or not they thought he did call his shot. Um, so it was uh, it was a great thing to be able to write. And, and one of the postscripts for that, I don't know that if we've talked, but uh, I did interview Ruth's daughter, Julia Stevens, who's still alive, um, and uh, the, and she was very nice. And uh, her son helped me connect. I got connected through her son, and they they had they were in town last year for as part of this Wrigley Field 100 year anniversary celebration. And her son said, you know, we we really love the book. We'd love to get together with you while we're here in town. And so here I am. We're in a restaurant in downtown Chicago. I'm having dinner with Babe Ruth's daughter, with someone who called, who's calling Babe Ruth daddy, and with his grandson. Now, he never met his right. grandson, he never met, but uh, but uh, his grandson definitely knew Babe's wife, and was very close to, that was his grandmother, and close to Julia's mother, and it was unbelievable. I wanted to tell people, do you know who's in, you know who's sitting at this table? Babe Ruth's daughter is sitting at this table. And that was really another one of those remarkable experiences that I'll never forget. You know, I randomly randomly had a somewhat similar experience. Um, My brother graduated from Yale a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and I went down to graduation, obviously. And uh, it was just me and my brother. uh, My brother and I were walking around one night. um, He's in one of the societies at Yale and there's like a a greeting or something uh, where I got to go to the secret society for a few minutes um, before I got kicked out. Uh, but, uh, we were walking to it and there's someone walking to, you know, by us and we stopped and my brother's like, you know, this is so-and-so and this is my brother. And I was like, Oh, nice to meet you. You know? And my brother's like, yeah, he was the one in the video. You know, it's small talk. And I was like, Oh, it's great to meet you. You know, congratulations. on graduation. Walk away. It's like, you know, who that was, I was like, no, he's like, that was JFK's grandson. Oh my goodness. He's like, yeah, that's Carolyn's son. Carolyn's son. Wow. I was like, that's amazing. Oh, no kidding. He's like, yeah. And he was telling me, he's telling me how uh, his freshman year, one of the other kids on the hockey team got in a little bit of a, a fight with him. He's like, nah. It, he's like, it wasn't a drag out, knockdown brawl or anything. It's just like an argument and words and a little pushing. He's like, on the next day, that kid got summoned by the dean. Is like, yeah, you got, you can't, uh, you can, you gotta let that one go. No more fighting with that guy. 
Like, oh, another yeah, candidate. Yeah, wow, I was crazy. like, oh, all right, that's pretty cool. So yeah, it's a similar kind of a just a it's a crazy thing to me to think. I asked him, I'm like, I'm like, I wonder if he's ever seen the Zapruder film. Like, you know, it's just like I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. I was glad yeah. I didn't. I, it was it right. was a nice no. nice meeting. So um, but yeah um, this summer now, what uh what else is on your mind for the sports media beat? Uh, for sports, you know, we got uh, this week's going to be for sports media. It'll be an interesting week because uh, you have. Fox's first uh, foray into covering major championship golf with the U.S. Open. So right. looking forward to seeing how that goes. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting with Joe Buck and Greg Norman and all the Fox gizmos that they'll be throwing at it. Um, While they're you know, kind of doing the World Cup as well at the same time. Yeah, they're doing yeah. the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't say that with the Blackhawks. Yeah, it's not, it hasn't been much hype for it so far. But I've heard the ratings are pretty good, so that's interesting. Um you know, I think we're just kind of gearing up again for a little bit of you know of a lot of golf in this area. Uh, the Cubs are coming back with the ratings, so that's always good. The Bears have a new coach, so you know, and I think nationally, um, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that un- new undefeated site in the wake of uh, the guy who it was conceived for, Jason uh, Whitlock, Whitlock, being yeah. ousted and kind of a very. Um, uh, you know, interesting story as a very uh, surprising development considering they conceived this site that was supposed to be based uh, kind of an African-American-centric type site based on, you know, geared around Jason Whitlock and he was supposed to be running it and he weeks before its launch he gets ousted. He's not even going to be a part of it. So we've never, <clears throat> we haven't found out what happened. I wrote a, on, my, on my post yesterday at Sherman Report that if, this is a guy who demands transparency, you know, in the thing in the athletes and the teams he covers, and I think he owes it to readers to explain what happened here and why he's, you know, this, he's no longer part of this site. So we'll see if that happens. It, um, it must be tough to be a star and a boss there. I mean, obviously we've seen Simmons leave his site that was created for him and started. Right. Now Whitlock. I mean, I know well, Mike Silver. They created a site for him, right? Is that his name, Mike Silver? Nate Silver. Nate. Nate Silver. Right. I'm not into it. I should try to be more into it, but I'm just not. Yeah. I, I don't know um, why. Well, I, you know, I mean, this was a, you know, this was a site that was created for Jason, and they were going to write. You know, we saw if you haven't had a chance, Deadspin did do a pretty huge takedown of. Yeah, I read it. Yeah. You know, his manager. You know, listen, everyone knows he, J- Jason is Jason. He's not my best. You know, he doesn't. We're not best friends. We've had our feud. He's blocked me on Twitter. Oh no. Um, and because uh, I went after him a few times, I think I and, stuck uh, up for you in that feud. I think I was huh? I was collateral damage in that feud. I think he told me <laughs> right. this, this was his America. He tweeted at me. I said, yeah. "Oh, okay, sorry." Um, I, I really kind of went after me when he told me that he was that that my questions weren't sophisticated enough when yeah. I asked. Him. Okay, when yeah, he, I remember. I was when I asked to do a Q and A, and I sent him questions, and yep. he said my questions weren't sophisticated enough and then i kind of went and called him out for that yeah um, we were team ad in that feud for sure but everyone knows everyone knows that he's a very much of a uh you know a character and i, I don't think anyone expect i don't know why they expected him to be a great manager but i think they could have worked around it so something clearly egregious happened for them to knock him out of that completely out of it i, I was surprised that they that it doesn't even sound like he's going to be writing for that website i mean wow. i thought well okay he's not going to run it but he can at least write for it, unless he just outright refused to write. If I'm not going to run it, I don't want to write for it. But uh, so that was kind of a big surprise. And and again, and he mentioned Bill Simmons. Where is he going to land? Right. And 
and that, that's a pretty big property out there. I think regardless of where he goes, it will never be like ESPN. Maybe that doesn't matter to him. I think it's going to be hard for him to kind of recreate what he already had. Those four letters are pretty powerful, and it really did kind of add to his following. Now, he does have a big brand, uh, but, you know, are you going to be able to be a part of a 30 for 30 or a website like he had? Um, so I think that'll be interesting. I don't know that he's going to end up with, I think, a lot of speculation. He end up with a bleacher report or something like that. I think he's really going to see if he can kind of do it on his own. Do his own, yeah. Uh, obviously, he'll have some uh, money behind it, and he'll have some developers. Um, but I just don't see him being aligned with a, a network um, or a, you know, a. I think he's really going to see if he can kind of use the leverage of his own brand to see if he can build his own content. Company. And I mean, he's got some huge boys, right? I mean, he's boys with yeah. Gorilla I mean, he's got people. He knows a lot of people, and yeah. he's out in Hollywood. I'm yeah. sure he can get people. You know, he's got a lot of big big friends, and so I would imagine that's how that's going to play out. Um, I think for him to go to a Bleacher Report, <clears throat> I don't think that does much for him. I think if you're at this point in your life, you got a lot of money, why not see if you can really, truly build something unique? And that, that's what I'm expecting from him. Okay. So those are the kind of things we're going to be watching. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, you know, media-wise. I mean, we're, you know, believe it or not, we're only a year away now from the next Olympics, and Rio and I know that I was with the NBC guys, you know, during the past week in Chicago here, and they're already gearing up, and it's going to be that'll be huge because it'll be an Olympics that is basically in the same time zone as the United States, so it means a lot of live coverage. Yeah, thank God. Means much higher ratings. It, one last thing about Simmons, real quick, and thank God I love when the Olympics. I hate when it's off like that. Um, he'll never have a better summer, Simmons, right? I mean, if his contract was five million for this year. There was basically three months left on it. They told him to go, basically go home. They got to be paying him to, uh, yeah, vacation. That's like a two million dollars summer vacation. Yeah, right. That's nice. Right. You so, know, well, yeah. yeah, these guys already make a lot of money. How much? You know, at some point, how much money do you need? But, what uh, happens? But when... I haven't, I haven't reached that point yet, so I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, but uh, what happens? No, I mean, it... go ahead. Yeah, what happens when you're the executive producer of something like Thirty for Thirty, and then you leave the company? Like he's just no longer a part. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, they have a, they have other people running. I don't know how much how you know he got that started. I don't know how active he was. And right, they you have get some that great credit. guys running those doing those documentaries, and they have a pretty good template of what they want. And I've met a couple of them, and they're really sharp, and they know what they want. And they know how to make these films. So does he keep the you know, credit? I mean, that's I mean, he started, but he was the guy who kind of started that train, and uh, you know, he did some remarkable things there at that. Uh, at that network and uh but at the end of the day you know um he you know did his head get too big you know did you know you know he he kept kind of seemed to be just seemed like he kept defying them to kind of fire the fire you know to suspend them and i think he kind of didn't you know i think he kind of felt you know that maybe he was bigger than 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 everyone else with some of the things he did and uh i think they made a monetary decision and at some point you get you know, you're only worth so much money, and we're not going to, you know, we need to make money off you, and we only can make X amount of dollars off you, and we're not going to give you more. So I think that kind of came down to both. But, you know, the timing of the firing or the, the, that we're not going to renew his contract was, you know, coincided with him going on Dan Patrick and spouting off against Goodell again after, you know, you know in the way that he was kind of told, warned against before. Um, I think he seemed to be daring them to kind of like, okay, you know, 
yeah, let's end this thing. That was yeah. kind of his way of doing it, I think. Well, it's uh, at Sherman underscore report on Twitter, ShermanReport.com. He's also writing for the Chicago Tribune again. Where else? You write columns everywhere. Where else are you writing? I'm writing for Pointer. I write a sports journalism column for Pointer, and I also do some sports media for National Sports Journalism Center. So, yeah, I'm all over the place. And some stuff for Awful Announcing, too. They, they use my stuff. So, oh, yeah, we like such is the life of a freelancer these days. I like awful, awful Announcing because they never said we were awful. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, I'm like, oh, yeah. great, you know? Because we've had to have done something awful in the last three years. I mean,. I like uh, to I think know. it was a li- only a little bit of awful, but there had to be something, and they haven't called us. So, <laughs> uh, Matt Matt is uh, one of the other big Saints fans out there. So, right when I had well, him on, we- I was a Saints fan this year because I had Drew Brees, and he let me down. So, really, What's five thousand yards and thirty-three touchdowns—that wasn't enough. Nope. No, he had a lot of a lot of uh, dumpy games this year. Jeez, man, it's tough. five thousand yards. Well, that just, many yards? Just below. He had that many yards. Sixty below. Four thousand nine hundred. Did he? That yeah, much? yeah. Wow. Four thousand nine hundred thirty-three touchdowns, sixty-seven percent completion percentage, which I believe was first in the league. Two to one interception to touchdown ratio. Just yeah. no way. No, no, no. You cannot tell me that he had a great year. I well, watched I mean, too many of those games to say that he had a great year. He did not have a great year. That you said fantasy, though, right? He was huh? on your fantasy team, right? Yeah, but it, there was a lot of Leslie must he must have put up a lot of yards late in the year. He had a lot of he had a couple big games, but he had a lot of very mediocre games. Believe me, I know because I felt the pain. Well, I watched them all. I mean, you know, I was just saying, and I felt some pain too. He he had uh, you know a couple of um, bad passes, but in the end, when you have four thousand nine hundred and fifty-two yards, I suppose I didn't realize little, he. I would. I'm surprised he had that many. And thirty-three touchdown like passes. Me. Yeah, thirty-three touchdown passes. I mean, I don't know what. Yeah. You know, from a fantasy standpoint, because believe me, when someone on the Saints is not doing well in fantasy, my phone is blowing up, you know, like, and I'm already yeah. annoyed. You know, they were they were yeah. my most hated Saints team ever last year. Um, yeah. They let me down more than any team because I had such high expectations. But yeah, right. Um, oh, yeah, I hear it. But I, I don't know. He played all the games. He never didn't yeah. have them, you know, and there was yeah. a couple where, you know, road games, uh you know, in Carolina, maybe you should have sent him out of that one. I don't know. But I don't know. Uh, thank you, Ed. I have okay, to defend great. Drew Brees to the death. You understand, right? Yes, right. So, okay, okay. Thanks for having me on. It's always great to talk to you. Yes, love it. Talk to you soon. Okay, thank Bye. you. All right, I want to thank Ed Sherman for being on the podcast today. You wouldn't believe the never-ending choices you have when you type Final Fantasy Fanfare into YouTube for things to play. Still can never find the one we use for years, but it's been fun uh, finding other ones. Anyway, uh, thanks again to Mr. Sherman for being on the show. Love having him on the podcast. If you have a podcast that's fairly independent, which we're very independent, and you want people to think highly or kindly of you, a good strategy is to be friendly with the guys who critique media, right? Um, And Mr. Sherman, as we said in the beginning, is someone who has very much uh, championed the work we've done here, and we appreciate his support and being able to call on him in just a short notice and say, hey, 
You want to talk about what's going on in your city, and he, he does it. So thank you to him. Book club update real quick. Uh, Console Wars by Blake J. Harris. Blake was on the podcast last week to talk about this book. Um, it's awesome. Uh, it's Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle to Find a Generation. It's in paperback now. Uh, we featured it two times when it was in hardcover and now in paperback. I uh, can't recommend it enough. And because they have a kind publisher, I have copies to give away. Um, so we're going to do that soon. But if you want to email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and you feel like you absolutely need a copy of this book, let me know, and I will get you one. The other book this month is called The Game uh, by a guy named John Pessa, a baseball book about the business of baseball, everything that's gone on the last decade or so, uh, inside the secret world of Major League Baseball's power brokers. Uh, 20 years ago, baseball risked self-destruction, but today it's a multi-billion dollar business. Three men made it so. Hundreds of interviews. Five years in the making by John Pass. I told you I talked to John on Twitter last week. He's going to be on soon. Maybe we'll set that up for next week or the week after that. Uh, the book, The Game, is a really great read. I'm enjoying it. It is a mouthful. There's a lot there. We will obviously talk a lot more about the book uh, when John is on. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to pay tribute uh, to one of the greats of the wrestling business who was lost, Dusty Rhodes, this week. And talk a little bit about John Cena, too, with Mike Johnson from PWInsider.com. All right, our next guest is making his second appearance on the show. His first appearance, he was kind enough to make just before he stepped out of his house and onto a plane to fly to WrestleMania 31. He's the main man at ProWrestlingInsider.com. We're very happy to have him. Please welcome Mike Johnson. What's going on, Mike? Um, eh, it's a sad week, but I mean, I guess that's why we're we're, we're here to talk about. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's. You know, the passing of Dusty Rhodes is uh, one of these things that, like, when you when you think about it from the periphery, it doesn't seem like, oh, it's another wrestler who passed away. But the more you think about it, you realize what a big story this really is because uh, in a lot of ways he, he was one of the few who could trace their careers back to maybe late 50s, early 60s, and into, you know, starting out, becoming a star, traveling all these different territories and literally working just about everywhere there is uh, that, that he could have worked from Japan to the AWA to WCW to the NWA to WWE and all its permutations to, you know, even smaller companies like Ring of Honor and ECW. He, he, he was everywhere and he was a creative visionary and a creative force. And probably when you look at the top 10 most influential uh, personalities ever in pro wrestling, He's got to be in in the top half of that list. Yeah, you know, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, which is very much a WWE territory, right? You know, when I was uh, seven years old or whatever, I and really, I've been pretty loyal, so I've stayed pretty WWE right through. But despite that, I still had TBS and would watch uh, Saturday Night uh, Show that they had there and... No matter how little I knew about that federation or what they were doing down there, I knew Dusty Rhodes. You know, he was a guy that I knew. And you mentioned how 
you know, oh, it's just another dead wrestler or whatever. Uh, but it's always interesting to me when a wrestler does die, and he wasn't the only one this week or recently either. I think um, uh, was it Tommy Rogers? Yeah, the week before, fantastic. Yeah. Tommy Rogers, the Fantastics, passed away. Yeah, so. just passed away. Uh, but it's always interesting to me uh, what the uh, when the wrestler does die, what is the reaction of the business? And I can't remember the last time it was as widespread or as pronounced as this time. Whether it's uh, an old timer who crossed paths with him in the seventies, whether it's Stone Cold Steve Austin, or whether it's someone from NXT that he just recently uh, touched in the business, and uh, his creativity and his um, his passion for it will live for a long time. Obviously, yeah, and and the mainstream media really picked up on the story in a way that they traditionally don't, unless it's someone of the level of fame as uh, Randy Macho Man Savage and. I think that, you know, that kind of is a testament to who Dusty was as a performer in front of the camera because he was, you know, there was a point in time in the 1970s and early 1980s where, uh, especially in Florida and the southern region, he was as big of a name as anybody in pro wrestling as, 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 a, as a star, as a babyface hero. Uh, and then, you know, you add in all the, you know, the idea of he was the creative force behind Jim Crockett promotions when they were running their their hardest against the WWF during that time period where uh, WWF was nationally expanding and going into all these other territories that traditionally had been carved out for certain promoters in a geographic area. And Jim Crockett promotions was the last group to sort of stand against them and even make a run against them, even going as far as to having uh, cable specials on up against WrestleMania or to encroach into WWE territory by running uh, the Nassau Coliseum or the Meadowlands and, and and things like that in the Northeast and even going as far as doing live pay-per-views, which Jim Crockett Promotions moved into in late, late 87, early in, in, in 1988. Uh, so it was, you know, it was one of these things where Dusty was one of the creative forces behind that and... Uh, you know, when you think about all the things that he created, whether it's the Full Horseman or it's the War Games, the Match Beyond, or the booking of the Rock and Roll Express against the Midnight Express, or Nikita Koloff, who goes from hated Russian villain to uh, uh, this guy who turns good and joins forces with Dusty because he respected uh, Magnum TA, who was his arch rival who was injured in a car accident and could never wrestle again. Like, there's all these great groundbreaking moments and all these great, amazing uh, interviews that Dusty did, and phenomenal wrestling matches, and a lot of silliness, too. And, you know, Dusty at times could ham it up with the best of them, and that's part of what made him, made him so great was his charisma could go in any direction. He could, he could look at you and talk to you and say, touch my hand on the TV set, and you would be totally engrossed in that moment. And he could get serious and scream and present himself almost like the prototype of Steve Austin, where he was the blue-collar guy speaking for the blue-collar person who was working a 9-to-5 job, who didn't have a lot of money, who, who scraped and earned his way week to week on every check. And he was up against not the, the corporations or corporate America in the, in the form of Vince McMahon like Steve Austin was a couple of decades later, but in the, the, the Full Horseman, and Ric Flair in particular – could certainly have been an avatar for uh, corporate greed and Wall Street and, uh, you know, all, all that sort of 1980s yuppieism, uh, you know, and, and that, that, that pervaded and sort of 
got into the, uh, the, 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 the DNA of America. And Dusty was, you know, he was the epitome of, you know, the hardworking farmer. And they were the epitome of big business who were coming to tell these people who worked for a living um, how, what they should be doing and that they could do it better and that they were making more money than the person who worked harder. And so, I mean, it, when you look at Dusty and you, you look at him and then you trace where wrestling went after his involvement, you can see where guys, subconsciously or not, took a lot of inspiration from what Dusty did and took it upon themselves to create their own version of it. Yeah. You know, it was interesting that just a few weeks ago, uh, Dusty was all over my Twitter feed at the end of the network special uh, with the first, uh, the, uh, was it the Elimination Chamber when Rollins and um, Ambrose ended it with a quote-unquote Dusty finish. Right. And, you know, his name was everywhere that day. It was really... Uh, uh, his, and it his, wasn't even his finish. That was a finish that's been around forever. But it, it kind of got christened the Dusty finish because he he kind of overdid it in Jim Crocker promotion towards the end where, with, with Ric Flair and the NWA World Championship and all that where they would do it where, you know, it would appear somebody won the belt and then uh, and magically the guy had gotten, the referee had gotten bombed or the guy had been tossed over the top rope, which then at that point was a disqualification in the NWA. And then there would be a pinfall and everybody would be like, oh, my God, there's a new champion. And no. There was a technicality, as Dean Ambrose said after the, uh, you know, after his ladder match at Money in the Bank right, this yeah. week, and you know, and, and you know, it was one of those things where, you know, it, it's a great idea, but if you do it into the ground, suddenly a great idea turns into one of those things where the audience goes, "Ah, this again." But you know, I I know people made the Dusty Finish reference to Seth Rollins and Ambrose, but since it had not been done in so long. And it, it was done in a way to make yeah. Ambrose stronger. It, it showed that it, that it could work, yeah. given the right element and the right. You know, that should be put away in the in, in the dresser and not used for another ten years. Right. But in the right moment, it can be used correctly. You know, we are so prone to this now, uh, and at times it's hyperbole, and at times it's not. Uh, there's even a hashtag, right? Goat, greatest of all time, or this is the greatest, or that's the greatest. But this week, one thing that I've read a lot of times in a lot of different places is that the the quote-unquote hard times promo. It's the greatest wrestling promo of all time. Is it in it, your esteem, or is it close, or is there something else, or where do you stand on that? Um, I, 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 you know, it, it's weird because you you know, everything is the greatest thing of all time at this point. Right. I think it's hard not to watch that promo and not be entertained by it, even if you're not watching it in the context of the TV show or the storyline that it was originally in. I think I look, you know, I I, I look at it, and uh, you know, to me, I always like the Dusty promo where he first uh, won the world championship from Harley Race in I think nineteen seventy nine or nineteen eighty, and there's just this great dramatic promo that he does in the back in the locker room where he's surrounded by all his friends, and it's just this great, you know, like it, it to me, you know, it's all Dusty, and I, I can't equate one versus the other. Um, it, you know, it's, it's like trying to pick your favorite Ric Flair promo. It's kind of hard, right? you know, just they, everything was great. Um, so, uh, to me, I, I just feel like I couldn't, I couldn't pick a favorite, a favorite, a favorite promo. So I can't even comment on that one. <laughs> you know, one great thing about the network, especially in a time like this is so much of Dusty's work is right at our fingertips. And of course there's other stuff on YouTube. Uh, you want to throw some stuff out? 
uh, a couple things you might look up, a match or two, either on the network oh, God, or on sure. YouTube. Um, uh, dusty matches that some of our listeners yeah, might be able to. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Starcade nineteen eighty five, Dusty Rhodes against Ric Flair. Yeah, that's one of the more um, famous ones. You know, right? that's yeah. one. You know, that like the, you know that was the that was one of the you know and, and eighty four as well was Dusty and Flair. So you got those two matches back to back. I think those are those are great. Um, I, I I I I have an affinity for Dusty Rhodes against Lex Luger. In a steel cage at uh, Starcade 1987, just because I think, although Luger was not the best in-ring performer, the story of the match and the finish are told so well. Um, I'm really a big fan of that. Um, you know, uh, I, I know the Dusty documentary is on the network, and that has clips of Dusty against Superstar Billy Graham from Madison Square Garden in there. But those matches are well worth going out of your way to see. Um, you know, some of the Dusty Randy Savage stuff is very, very good. I'm not sure of it how much of that's on the network. I know there's a mixed tag. I think it's WrestleMania six. It's Dusty and Sapphire against Randy Savage and Sherry Martell. Um, but you know, uh, I also uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know if the early Great American Bashes are on there. I know the, the pay per view ones are. If Great American Bash '87 is on the network, just you know, the War Games, the match beyond, where it's Dusty Nikita, the Road Warriors, and Precious Paul Ellering against the Full Horsemen and JJ Dillon. To me, that is like the epitome of the big blow-off, phenomenal war-to-end-all wars, you know? Like, these ten guys who just hate each other, who are gonna beat the crap out of each other, and the drama continues to rise, and the drama continues to get deeper and deeper, and and greater and greater, because of the way the time periods are set up, where the two teams flip the coin, and alright, the, the villains magically always win. So, it starts out where it's one guy against another guy, and then the, the, the period ends, so the, the first villain gets to come in, and now it's two-on-one, and they're beating this poor guy down for two minutes, and then the next period starts, and now it's two-on-two, and the hero makes the save, so you get, you get that big dramatic moment of the, the, the fresh guy hits the ring, and he's cleaning house, and then a third villain comes in, and now it's three-on-two, and we're back to where we were, and so on and so on, until all ten guys are in the ring, and then the match beyond begins, and it can only end with submission or surrender, and now it's like, you've got guys who are beaten and bloody, and brawling for 30 40 minutes and it's just a great spectacle and it's if i could pick one element of the old school nwa that dusty created that i would like to see return to wwe it would be that match it's always been one of my favorite matches you know uh, the relationship between dusty and vince is uh obviously gone back and forth over the years whether it was uh vince naming the bodyguard virgil as sort of a dig at him or uh then <laughs> Uh, Dusty doing the same and naming the same guy Vincent in a different mm-hmm. company, uh, or the polka dots, or, polka dots, yeah, right, or what, no, whatever it no, was. No, no one other than Vince knows whether that was really a <laughs> right. rib on Dusty or not, and Vince will never admit it. And, you know, and but you know, say what you, you know. The rea- reality is, Dusty was there the last um, ten years. He looked right? at it and said, "All right, that's the, if that's the hand I've been dealt, I'm gonna make it work." And he made it work. And that's that to me. That's the key to Dusty is that. No matter what situation he was in, whether he was supposed to be a silly comedy guy or he was a serious athlete or he was the common man or he was the elder statesman or he was someone's dad, no matter what role he played, one, he kept his credibility, two, he, he, it felt legitimate, and three, when you watch Dusty, uh, maybe not everything in the ring because logically some of the, the flip-flop and fly, obviously – and some a little silly at times, but when you watch Dusty, the personality, 
everything made sense. Everything was felt real. Everything felt organic. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that he brought to wrestling. Uh, and I think he really tried to instill in the guys who he helped uh, teach and train down at the, the WWE Performance Center is that the, the importance of realism, the importance of you know it being organic and making it feel like you believe and you are this personality as opposed to you're playing a personality. Because, you know, there, there's a difference between a guy going out on TV and playing a villain in wrestling, and you can kind of see through it, and a guy that you believe, all right, this guy's just a complete piece of garbage. You look at Seth Rollins, and in that moment, you believe that he is that guy. Yeah, he's Where, a great deal. Whereas you look at other guys, and you go, well, they're kind of just playing characters. And the guys that believe, those are the guys you want to pay money to see. And I think, you know, Dusty, you always believed in him. You always wanted to see what he was going to do. And especially if you grew up in the 80s, you wanted to see how he was going to overcome the odds against the Horsemen, how he was going to get his hands on Harley Race and finally get the championship, how he was going to defeat Kevin Sullivan and run the evil satanic cult off in Florida, and so forth and so forth. He was he was great. And, he you know, they, you know, they, they, they played his promo during the... Um, the, the tribute where he goes, you know, I know I don't look like the, the average athlete of today. My belly's a little too big. My hand is a little too big, but I can kick some booty. And it's like, like, that's the epitome of Dusty. He took everything that shouldn't have worked, flipped it, it around, it right. and made it work for him. And that's what more guys in wrestling today, in my opinion, need to do. Well, what I wanted to ask you to close this off, and then I want to ask you a couple other quick things, and I'll let you go. Uh, did the WWE, we love to criticize them, right? And it's easy and fun to do sometimes. I don't know if it's fun, but obviously, you know, it's open to crit- everybody's open to criticism. <laughs> Did so. they do it right this time? Did they send him off the right Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, other the the only other thing they could have done is, all right, we're going to cancel our our Monday night show and give you three hours of Dusty Rhodes matches. Right. I mean, really, that's the only other alternative that they could have had. But I think they did a great job. Uh, you know, you had the entire roster out there paying tribute to him. They re- to open their pay-per-view. They replayed that on Raw. There were references to him all over that pay-per-view. There were references to him on Raw. Showing They showed the clip where he beat Harley Race for the championship. They showed clips of his promos. Um, you know, what else could you do other than, you know, do a special event all based around Dusty? You know, to me, I think, uh, you know, I think they did it right by him. And, you know, I give them a lot of credit because I don't know if you had a chance to watch it yet, but they had the, the Celebration of a Dream, the WWE Network special. Now, think they found out Dusty passed away on Thursday afternoon. By Monday evening, right. they had something edited and ready to go, written, uh, written, hosted by Jerry Lawler. A New bunch interviews. of their performers had yeah. sent in messages, and that thing was edited and ready to go on the air at 11 o'clock Monday night. Now, I don't know how much you know about TV production, and yes, they have an amazing production staff. That's a lot of work to get done in just a couple of days, especially after hearing, oh, my God, somebody that we all liked and loved and respected has passed away. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, give, I give them a lot of credit for the turnaround on that sucker. Uh, Mike Johnson from PWInsider.com is joining us. I think I said that wrong. PWI. No, I said it right. PWInsider.com. PW right. I had it right. Uh, at MikePWInsider on Twitter. Uh, it seems like we're always catching him um, at frantic times in his life, whether it's jumping out of plane to WrestleMania or... Uh, I didn't jump out of a plane. I was running on a plane. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Um, real quickly, uh, before I let you go, I want to get this in real quick. Um, I think I asked you if you were a Cena sucks or uh, let's go Cena guy last time. It's no, a, I love John. I think yeah. John's great. Um, I tapped out you know, for a while, and I missed a lot of his run. 
Um, but I came back when the network. I think I tapped out right when they split the brands. Um, the, so that's 2002 or so. Right around there, yep. And then uh, I would that watch. Wasn't, that wasn't a good time for them creatively either. So I, I, a lot, I know a lot of fans that kind of tapped out at that point. Yeah, and then uh, I, I would still, you know, WrestleMania, I, I've seen most of them, I think. But for, for a large part, I, I missed John work. And then when I came back, um, I was really excited to see this Mount Rushmore guy. You know, like I've always really loved to watch the guys work from the top because it seems so hard. I mean, uh, Hogan was the first guy, the first larger-than-life star in wrestling I watched. And then I got to see sort of it build organically for Austin and Rock, and I, I love that. And uh, watching Flair work as I did uh, a bit, um, like I said, on Saturdays or whenever I could catch WCW when I was younger. Um, so I was excited about it, and I just – wow, he – I don't know what happened before I came in, but since I've been back, I mean, I think to his Brock feud, I loved almost every one of those matches, uh, even the squash, which I couldn't believe I was watching a guy as big as him getting squashed. Um, then uh, the triple threat match, which I think might have been part of the Brock feud, uh, was amazing, a card stealer that night. And what he's doing with Owens and Owens is doing with him, they're doing it together, obviously, which I try to remind people who seem to be wanting to just love Owens beyond belief uh, quickly, which is great. Um, Man, I don't know. This is the best thing I've seen from them since I've been back, this Owens and uh, Cena thing. And I get so annoyed with people who complain because Cena got a match the other night, even though they still made. I thought Owens looked so strong, and I thought there's a great reason for a part three. I don't know. What do you think of Cena-Owens so far? And... um, it just seems like it has the potential to be the best thing they've done in a long time. Well, I, I think, right, you know, I like the product. I, I, I've liked most of the product in the last year or so. And so do I. So do I. Um, I I've enjoyed Owens and Cena. Uh, I was amazed at the people who kind of lost their mind. They were like, oh, they're burying Owens when he lost to John Cena at Money in the Bank. And I don't the get next that. day, you know, he, he turns out he's injured John to the point John can't be at Raw. And then he destroys Machine Gun Kelly, which I thought was a cool little deal. And I give Machine Gun Kelly a lot of a lot of credit for even being willing to do that. Um, I really enjoy it. I think John, you know, unfortunately for a lot of fans, John uh, is the epitome or the symbol of, you know, post-WWE after the Monday Night Wars. And also... Unfortunately for him, he's the epitome of that PG era, right? Where you know fans who were weaned on the Attitude Era with the the over the top violence and the brutality and the sexualism and all that racy sort of icon- iconography that they used um, are kind of like, eh, I don't want to see this. You know, I want my wrestling the way I want it. But what they failed to realize is that WWE had kind of closed themselves off in this bubble and. Their audience was going to grow older, but if they wanted to always have a new audience, they needed to be able to replenish that, so they needed to kind of make themselves open for children, and they changed the entire dichotomy of the company, they changed the way everything was sort of presented, and they made them, they, you know, they made themselves available for a, a PG audience, and through that, they've gotten a lot of more, a lot more licensees, they've gotten a lot more uh, partners, and John has been great at being the guy who's been at the forefront of presenting himself as the company guy. And that doesn't, you know, I think people kind of look at him and go, oh, he's not a good wrestler. He's not a good worker. I, I don't, I never bought that. He's been, the, he's been the character that they've wanted him to be. Right. And, um, 
he's been the you know he's been the good soldier that's done everything that's been asked of him. Now that, that doesn't mean he can't whip things out and do a great five star brawl. I mean we've seen him have great matches with Brock Lesnar and Daniel Bryan and CM Punk over the years. Um, I mean years ago we even had a, a pretty entertaining brawl with the great Kali, who really is the one of the worst main event players they've ever had in that company. <laughs> so I mean you know I, I think people look at John and they kind of assume the worst about him, but the reality is. Uh, there's, if there was someone better to take his spot, he, they, they would be in his spot. And he's really good at what he does. He's very good at presenting himself and presenting the company the way that they want it to be presented. And he's good at uh, figuring out the best way when, when, it's called, when he's called upon to do this to make someone else a star. He did it with Punk. He did it with Brian. He did it with with Owens, and, and he'll do it with the next guy if it's asked of him. Yep. Um, I think the Owens thing is fascinating because he's basically playing the exact same character that he's played on the independents for many, many years, uh, from the way that he presents himself to what he does physically to the way he speaks on the mic. It is a very interesting character for WWE. I'm curious how long it'll be like that before it evolves into something else. Um, but they've done a good job of kind of capturing the imagination of the online fan, the diehard wrestling fan, and even getting Owens um, in making the fans that don't know who Kevin Owens is very intrigued because here's this guy who came out of nowhere, called out John Cena, and then beat him. Who the hell does that? Right. <laughs> you know, it, it would be the epitome of Ric Flair walking in, calling out, and obviously Owens is not Ric Flair because the, the time is different. But, it, all right, we'll use this. It would be the, 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 the equal of of Kurt Henning, the AWA world champion, before he was Mr. Perfect, walking in, calling out Hulk Hogan, and then beating Hulk Hogan clean at his first match. Right, never. That's basically, you right. know, the uh, or, or an ECW guy walking in and doing it. Like, it, it was, it's unheard of. And it's curi- I'm very curious to see how it's going to evolve, and uh, I think it's uh, it's been an interesting sort of thing to follow. Yeah, and I did see, uh, I don't know, one of the, one of the guys, whether it was Bauer, you, or someone that I follow that's, you know, uh, it must not have been you because I know it's someone who's a little bit more critical. Did say when when Cena did lose the first match, just like it showed a real generous generous side of him to do that job the way he did so clean and in the middle. And I know he's not in business for himself, so I mean, it's not like he totally did it. But I just picture you know other guys in his status maybe not being as willing to do that seemingly. But um, listen, this is more time than I asked for already. Um, I said this last time, Mike Johnson created the wrestling and pw insider created the wrestling podcast before wrestling podcasts were a thing the work that they did on the old pay-per-views is worth the sub in its own whether it's the wrestlemania ones or the SummerSlam ones the royal rumble ones they're amazing uh he's at uh geez i got it right here he's at I mike pwi in pw insider on twitter pwinsider.com uh, it's amazing stuff. Those, uh, trust me, those those audios are so good. And, wow, and thank you. And lay it all out what you're doing now, because I laid some old stuff out. But give everyone all the right stuff so I don't screw it up, so they can find you. Right. Okay. Well, you you did great. <laughs> um, you know, we're at pwinsider.com. We have the free version, which uh, unfortunately features advertising, as you know, we're just a mom and pop operation. There's no corporate sponsors there. Um, and we also have what we call the elite section, which is a subscriber version of PW Insider uh, at pwinsiderelite.com. That's completely ad free and uh, features daily uh, audio updates, 
Uh, yesterday, I think we had five different audios that went up over the course of the day. Uh, today, it'll probably be two or three. And every day, five, six, seven days a week, there are audio updates. So you're getting hours and hours of content that you can download and listen to on your iPod, iPad, whatever, uh, whatever your iDevice is, as well as <laughs> listen to it on your desktop right. or on your cell phone, whatever. And, uh, you know, we do all sorts of additional exclusive stuff on the site. And, uh, uh, if you want more information, you can hit me up on Twitter at MikePWInsider, and I'll uh, forward you over all the information. And, uh, you know, always a pleasure coming on talking to you. Uh, next time, let's do it when I'm not in the middle of renovating a house. Uh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. But, uh, you, know, it, you know, it really, you know, the, to me, you know, it's important to talk about Dusty. You know, like I said, I think, you know, if you're someone on the outside, you go, oh, you know, it's another guy who passed away, another old-time wrestler. But the more you really think about it, and the more you look into his career, um, he was a walking time capsule. He had stories about learning under Eddie Graham and teaming with Dick Murdoch and feuding with Bob Roop and, 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 and all of these guys. And he worked everywhere. I mean, the AWA, the NWA, Florida, uh, Memphis, ECW, Ring of Honor, MLW, every version of the WWE, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and so on and so on and so on. And you know, was a, not not only was an amazing headline performer who drew millions of dollars and, and 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 amazing television ratings, but was a creative force who kept things going and was a booker in TNA and the NWA and WCW, and you know was a, a very important part of the NXT uh, system yeah. that WWE is using now. And there is no way to replace this man. Well, if well you or I disappear tomorrow. <laughs> Someone else will come along. Yeah, and they'll, us. they'll get over us. There is no way. There is no way anybody can ever replace Dusty Rhodes. Um, you know, when when he is laid to rest tomorrow, it will be the wrestling equivalent of a head of state passing away or a major religious figure passing away. Um, and I expect there will be representatives of every wrestling company and wrestlers from every generation you can think of there, because really, Dusty touched all of their lives. And he touched all of ours. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, there, there's a line in, you know, when he was the Midnight Rider, allegedly, under a mask. <laughs> um, there's a line in the song, you know, you're not going to catch the Midnight Rider, not going to catch the Midnight Rider. You know, not going to catch him, no, you're not going to catch the Midnight Rider. And none of us ever will. We'll never catch Dusty Rhodes. And, uh, you know, God bless him. He was a, he was a hell of a performer and a hell of a, a, hell of a man. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to be sad for a long time over this one. And, uh, that's just life. It's something we all have to learn to deal with. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, next time we get a chance to talk, it'll be, a, it'll be about something a lot more fun. But uh, until then, you know, I, I appreciate being able to come on and talk about Dusty for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I'm humbled you even thought enough of me to want me to come back. And, no, I uh, loved it. I loved you know, it last God, time, too. God bless Dusty and his family because uh, yeah, they're, the one, they're the ones who, as much as we've all lost someone who was important to us in whatever way we think about him, they lost their father, they lost their grandfather, they lost their husband. Uh, it's his family that I'm truly concerned about, and I wish the best for. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. All right, I want to thank Ed Sherman from Sherman Report. And Mike Johnson from PWInsider.com for being on the podcast today. Uh, I want to thank Don for showing up on his birthday. Happy birthday, buddy. Uh, my only lifelong friend. We've known each other every day of our lives. Well, I guess he missed out on a few of mine by not being born yet. 
but I appreciate everything that he's done for me as a friend over the years, and I'm glad he took some time. I didn't want to keep him for one last thing, though, because I felt like he should go home, enjoy his birthday and his vacation with his family. But we did do three things together. Uh, We interviewed Ed Sherman uh, and Mike Johnson on the podcast. There's a book club update, and I'll finish it off with one last thing in a second. First, we're so bad at plugging stuff, but you can find us on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters. You can wish Don happy birthday at Don Like Sports. Email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, I'm going to try to update the Facebook page now and again. We don't have a lot of activity there, but maybe if I updated it, we'd have more. Facebook.com slash the sportscasters. Uh, don't forget, you can find last week's episode with uh, John Wertheim and Blake Harris at www.sports-casters.com and on, oh, I don't know, Downcast, uh, Stitcher, Instacast, whatever you use, it should be there. All right, one last thing. I was lucky enough last week on Wednesday to go see the Mighty Rush play what might be their last Buffalo concert ever. Uh, The guys in Rush have said they think this will be the last tour of this magnitude that they ever do, but that doesn't mean they might not play gigs or do smaller tours or who knows what the future holds for Rush. One thing I did know is that last week at the arena might be my last chance to see them, so I better go. It was my seventh time seeing Rush. My first show was in 1996, October 20th on the Test for Echo Tour. It's only the second time I was in the brand new arena in Buffalo, which at the time I think was called Marie Midland Arena. It's had several names uh, since being opened in 1996. And I went to that show by myself. Uh, Now, several years later, you'd think I would have a friend to go with, but I went once again by myself to the show. Uh, which I didn't mind, actually. I don't mind being to myself once in a while. And um, I really wanted to take in what was a pretty emotional night. They did a really cool thing in that they played the show backwards. So they started with two songs from their newest album, Clockwork Angels, and ended with two songs from their first album called Rush. Uh, And it was interesting how the show just kind of went from, you know, these songs that are very recent, uh, songs written... While I'm an adult, uh, and sort of faded into songs that were written while I was in college, uh, to the Test for Echo song, well, Test for Echo was skipped, but uh, around that era, albums that came out while I was in high school, um, to albums that came out in the 80s when I was shaping my life as a music fan, uh, finally down to songs that were recorded and mostly performed before I was even born. And uh, it was interesting as each era kind of went and passed, uh, you kind of remembered a part of your life passing as well. Uh, Just sort of like, okay, there was that time and that time and that time, and it reminisced the whole way through. And I really did enjoy that. One thing that bothered me about it, though, was uh, the way they did it meant that if the the first 45 minutes, essentially, of the show were songs from the last bunch of albums, and for some reason, uh, maybe this translates to all eras of music, but very much fans of music that appears on your local hard rock station for one reason or another they stopped listening to new music at some point at some point they woke up and said that's it i will only listen to these bands and not only will i only listen to those bands i will only listen to the music they made while i was in high school or college 
So these people sat on their elbows while Rush played some of their amazing work from the last bunch of years and really didn't join the concert until around Roll the Bones. Uh, and it was so frustrating to me. I know that many of them, I've seen in the crowd, their outfit, their haircut, stuck in the 70s. There's no reason their musical taste needs to be stuck as well. I did do a top five from the night. The Wreckers from Crockwork Angels is number five. Animate was amazing. Should maybe even be higher at number four from Counterparts. Closer to the Heart, which is just the the Rush song that is closest to my heart and one that I just feel they need to play when I'm there. It's the only one I feel that way about. Uh, it's number three. Number two is Far Cry from Snakes and Arrows. Definitely my favorite album since I was buying them on the first day. At number one was Subdivisions. I just, man, Subdivisions has a way of bringing the house down. A cool thing during Tom Sawyer, which opened the second set, and the camera eye, the two songs that they played for moving pictures, there was guys on the stage carrying paintings from one side to off the stage. So they were literally moving pictures. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Neil Peretz played the two different drum sets completely, uh, and he was in a great mood. It was the most uh, boisterous I've ever seen Neil Peretz smiling and uh, just having a lot of fun. I hope that translates because I have a feeling that if they do stop, he's the reason why. Um, and he has good reasons. I don't mean that negatively. But hopefully doing it will be too important to him to never do it again because I'd like to see them more. Um, and with that being said, I mean, if that's it, if I never see Rush again, uh, there's 20 studio albums if they don't make another one. There's hours of entertainment. There's many DVDs and live concerts and they did it right. 41 years they've been a band, and for 41 years they've done it their way. <laughs> 